The Devotion of Enrique, Part Two, from Selected Stories by Bret Hart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The present recording is by Raju Ramina Forty Five at Hotmail.com. The Devotion of Enrique, Part Two. Chance favored me. The next evening I was at a party where Miss Mannersley, by reason of her position and quality, was a distinguished, I had almost written a popular, guest. But, as I have formerly stated, although the youthful fire of the Encinal were flattered by her casual attentions and secretly admired her superior style and aristocratic calm, they were more or less uneasy under the dominance of her intelligence and education, and were afraid to attempt either confidence or familiarity. They were also singularly jealous of her, for, although the average young man was equally afraid of her cleverness and her candor, he was not above paying a tremulous and timid court to her for its effect upon her humbler sisters. This evening she was surrounded by her usual satellites, including, of course, the local notables and special guests of distinction. She had been discussing, I think, the existence of glaciers on Mount Shasta with a spectacled geologist and had participated with charming frankness in a conversation on anatomy with the local doctor and a learned professor when she was asked to take a seat at the piano. She played with remarkable skill and wonderful precision, but coldly and brilliantly. As she sat there in her subdued but perfectly fitting evening dress, her regular profile and short but slender neck firmly set up on her high shoulders, exhaling an atmosphere of refined puritanism, and provocative intelligence, the utter incongruity of Enrique's extravagant attentions, if ironical, and their equal hopelessness, if not, seemed to me plainer than ever. What had this well-poised, coldly observant spinster to do with that quaintly ironic ruffler, the romantic cynic, the rowdy Don Quixote, that impossible Enrique? Presently she ceased playing, her slim, narrow slipper revealing her thin ankle remained upon the pedal. Her delicate fingers were resting idly on the keys. Her head was slightly thrown back, and her narrow eyebrows prettily knit toward the ceiling in an effort of memory. Something of Chopin's suggested the geologist ordently. That exquisite sonata pleaded the doctor. Soothing of Rubinstein heard him once, said a gentleman of Siskiyou. He just made that pianer get up and howl, play rope. She shook her head with parted lips and a slight touch of girlish coquetry in her manner. Then her fingers suddenly dropped upon the keys with a glassy tinkle. There were a few quick pizzicato chords, down went the low pedal with a monotonous strumming, and she presently began to hum to herself. I started as well I might, for I recognized one of the Enrique's favorite and most extravagant guitar solos. It was audacious. It was barbaric. It was, I fear, vulgar. As I remembered it, as he sang it, it recounted the adventures of one Don Francisco, a provincial gallant and roisterer of the most objectionable type. It had 104 verses, which Enrique never spared me. I shuddered as in a pleasant, quiet voice the correct Miss Mannersley warbled in musical praise of Peligio or Weinskin and a eulogy of the dice-box came caressingly from her thin red lips. But the company was far differently affected. The strange, wild air and wilder accompaniment were evidently catching. People moved toward the piano. 
somebody whistled the air from a distant corner. Even the faces of geologist and doctor brightened. A torrential I presume blandly suggested the doctor. Miss Mannersley stopped and rose carelessly from the piano. It's a Moorish gypsy song of the fifteenth century, she said dryly. It seemed sort of familiar too, hesitated one of the young men timidly, like as if, don't you know? You had without knowing it, don't you know? He blushed slightly, sort of picked it up somewhere. I picked it up, as you call it, in the collection of medieval manuscripts of the Harvard Library and copied it, returned Miss Mannersley coldly as she turned away. But I was not inclined to let her off so easily. I presently made my way to her side. Your uncle was complimentary enough to consult me as to the meaning of the appearance of a certain exuberant Spanish visitor at his house the other night. I looked into her brown eyes, but my own slipped off her velvety pupils without retaining anything. Then she reinforced her gaze with a pince-nez and said carelessly, Oh, it's you. How are you? Well, could you give him any information? Only generally, I returned, still looking into her eyes. These people are impulsive. The Spanish blood is a mixture of gold and quicksilver. She smiled slightly. That reminds me of your volatile friend. He was mercurial enough, certainly. Is he still dancing? And singing sometimes, I responded pointedly. But she only added casually, a singular creature, without exhibiting the least consciousness and drifted away, leaving me none the wiser. I felt that Enriquez alone could enlighten me. I must see him. I did, but not in the way I expected. There was a bullfight at San Antonio the next Saturday afternoon, the usual Sunday performance being changed in deference to the sabbatical habits of the Americans. An additional attraction was offered in the shape of a bull and bear fight, also a concession to American taste, which had ordered the bullfight slow, and had averred that the bull did not get a fair show. I am glad that I am able to spare the reader the usual realistic horrors, for in the Californian performances there was very little of brutality that distinguished this function in the mother country. The horses were not miserable, worn-out hacks, but young and alert mustangs, and the display of horsemanship by the peccadors was not only wonderful, but secured an almost absolute safety to horse and rider. I never saw a horse goad although unskillful riders were sometimes thrown in wheeling quickly to avoid the bull's charge they generally regained their animals without injury the plaza de toros was reached through the decayed and tile-strewn outskirts of an old spanish village it was a rudely built oval amphitheater with crumbling whitewashed adobe walls and roofed only over portions of the gallery reserved for the provincial notables but now occupied by a few shopkeepers and their wives with a sprinkling of American travelers and ranchmen. The impalpable adobe dust of the arena was being whirled into the air by the strong onset of the afternoon trade winds, which happily, however, helped also to dissipate a reek of garlic and the acrid fumes of cheap tobacco rolled in corn husk cigarettes. I was leaning over the second barrier, waiting for the meager and circus-like procession to enter with the keys of the bullpen, when my attention was attracted to a movement in the reserved gallery. A lady and gentleman of a quality that was evidently unfamiliar to the rest of the audience were picking their way along the rickety benches to a front seat. I recognized the geologist with some surprise, and the lady was leading with still greater astonishment, for it was Miss Mannersley in her precise, well-fitting walking costume, a monotone of sober color among the party-colored audience. 
However, I was perhaps less surprised than the audience, for I was not only becoming as accustomed to the young girl's vagaries as I had been to Enrique's extravagance, but I was also satisfied that her uncle might have given her permission to come as a recognition of the Sunday concession of the management, as well as to conciliate his supposed Catholic friends. I watched her sitting there until the first bull had entered, and after a rather brief play with the picadors and banderilleros was dispatched. At the moment when the matador approached the bull with his lethal weapon, I was not sorry for an excuse to glance at Miss Mannersley. Her hands were in her lap, her head slightly bent forward over her knees. I fancied that she too had dropped her eyes before the brutal situation. To my horror, I saw that she had a drawing book in her hand and was actually sketching it. I turned my eyes in preference to the dying bull. The second animal led out for this ingenious slaughter was, however, more sullen, uncertain, and discomposing to his butchers. He accepted the irony of a trial with gloomy, suspicious eyes, and he declined the challenge of wiling and insulting peccadors. He bristled with the banderillos like a head hawk, but remained with his hunches backed against the barrier, at times almost hidden in the fine dust raised by the monotonous stroke of his sullenly pawing hoof, his one dull, heavy protest. A vague uneasiness had infected his adversaries. The picadors held aloof. The banderilleros skirmished at a safe distance. The audience resented only the indecision of the bull. Galling epithets were flung at him, followed by cries of espada, and curving his elbow under his short cloak, the matador, with his flashing blade in hand, advanced and stopped. The bull remained motionless. For at that moment a heavier gust of wind than usual swept down upon the arena, lifted a suffocating cloud of dust, and whirled it around the tires of benches and the balcony, and for a moment seemed to stop the performance. I heard an exclamation from the geologist who had risen to his feet. I fancied I heard even a faint cry from Miss Mannersley, but the next moment, as the dust was slowly settling, we saw a sheet of paper in the air that had been caught up in a brief cyclone, dropping, dipping from side to side on uncertain wings until it slowly descended in the very middle of the arena. It was a leaf from Miss Mannersley's sketchbook, the one on which she had been sketching. In the past that followed it seemed to be the one object that at last excited the bull's growing but tardy ire. He glanced at it with murky, distended eyes. He snorted at it with vague yet troubled fury. Whether he detected his own presentment in Miss Mannersley's sketch, or whether he recognized it as an unknown and unfamiliar treachery in his surroundings, I could not conjecture. For the next moment, the matador, taking advantage of the bull's concentration, with a complacent leer at the audience, advanced toward the paper, but at that instant, a young man cleared the barrier into the arena with a single bomb, shoved the matador to one side, caught up the paper, turned toward the balcony, and Miss Mannersley, with a gesture of apology, dropped gaily before the bull, knelt down before him with an exaggerated humility, and held up the drawing as if for his inspection. A roar of applause broke from the audience, a cry of warning and exasperation from the attendants, as the goaded bull suddenly charged the stranger but he sprang to one side with great dexterity, made a courteous gesture to the matador as if passing the bull over to him and still holding the paper in his hand, re-leaped the barrier and rejoined the audience in safety. I did not wait to see the deadly dominant thrust with which the matador received the charging bull, 
my eyes were following the figure, now bounding up the steps to the balcony, where, with an exaggerated salutation, he laid the drawing in Miss Mannersley's lap and vanished. There was no mistaking that thin-lit form, the narrow black moustache, and gravely dancing eyes. The audacity of conception, the extravagance of execution, the quaint irony of the sequel could belong to no one but Enrique. I hurried up to her as the six yoked mules dragged the carcass of the bull away. She was placidly putting up her book, the unmoved focus of a hundred eager and curious eyes. She smiled slightly as she saw me. I was just telling Mr. Briggs what an extraordinary creature it was, and how you knew him. He must have had great experience to do that sort of thing so cleverly and safely. Does he do it often? Of course, not just that. But does he pick up cigars and things that I see they throw to the matador? Does he belong to the management? Mr. Briggs thinks the whole thing was a feint to distract the bull. She added with a wicked glance at the geologist, who I fancied looked disturbed. I am afraid, I said dryly, that his act was unpremeditated and genuine as it was unusual. Why afraid? It was a matter-of-fact question, but I instantly saw my mistake. What right had I to assume that Enrique's attentions were any more genuine than her own easy indifference? And if I suspected that they were, was it fair in me to give my friend away to this heartless coquette? You are not very gallant, she said, with a slight laugh as I was hesitating and turned away with her escort before I could frame a reply. But at least Enrique was now accessible, and I should gain some information from him. I knew where to find him, unless he was still lounging about the building, intent upon more extravagance. But I waited until I saw Miss Mannersley and Briggs depart without further interruption. The hacienda of Roman Saltillo, Enrique's cousin, was on the outskirts of the village. When I arrived there, I found Enrique's pinto mustang steaming in the corral, and although I was momentarily delayed by the servants at the gateway, I was surprised to find Enrique himself lying languidly on his back in a hammock in the patio. His arms were hanging down listlessly on each side, as if in the greatest prostration, yet I could not resist the impression that the rascal had only just got into the hammock when he heard of my arrival. You have arrived, friend Pancho, in time, he said in accents of exaggerated weakness. I am absolutely exhausted. I am busted, caved in, kerflamoxed. I have behold you, my friend, at the barrier. I speak not. I make no sign at the first, because I was on fire. I speak not at the finish, for I am exhausted. I see the bull made it lively for you. He instantly bounded up in the hammock. The bull caramba. Not a thousand bulls, and this one, look you, was a craven. I snap my fingers over his horn. I roll my cigarette under his nose. Well, then what was it? He instantly lay down again, pulling up the sides of the hammer. Presently his voice came from its depths, appealing in hollow tones to the sky. He asks me, this friend of my soul, this brother of my life, this Pancho that I love, what it was. He would that I should tell him why I am game in the legs. Why I shake in the hand, crack in the voice, and am generally wipe out. And yet he, my partner, this Francisco, know that I have seen this miss from Boston, that I have gazed into the eye, touched the hand, and for the instant possess the picture that hand have drawn. It was a sublime picture, Pancho, he said, sitting up again suddenly, and have killed the bull before our friend Peep's sword have touched even the bone of his back and make finish of him. 
Look here, Enrique, I said bluntly. Have you been serenading that girl? He shrugged his shoulders with the least embarrassment and said, Ah, yes, what would you? It's of a necessity. Well, I retorted, Then you ought to know that her uncle took it all to himself. Thought you some grateful Catholic pleased with his religious tolerance. He did not even smile. We know, he said gravely. That makes something too. In this affair, it's well to begin with the duenna. He is the duenna. And I went on relentlessly. Her escort told her just now that your exploit in the bull ring was only a trick to divert the bull suggested by the management. Bah! Her escort is a geologian. Naturally, she is to him as a stone. I would have continued, but a peon interrupted us at this moment with a sign to Enrique, who leaped briskly from the hammock, bidding me wait his return for, from a messenger in the gateway. Still unsatisfied of mind, I waited and sat down in the hammock that Enrique had quitted. A scrap of paper was lying in its meshes, which at first appeared to be of the kind from which Enrique rolled his cigarettes. But as I picked it up to throw it away, I found it was a much firmer and stouter material. Looking at it more closely, I was surprised to recognize it as a piece of the tinted drawing paper torn off the block that Miss Mannersley had used. It had been deeply creased at right angles, as if it had been folded. It looked as if it might have been the outer half of a sheet used for a note. It might have been a trifling circumstance, but it greatly excited my curiosity. I knew that he had returned the sketch to Miss Mannersley, for I had seen it in her hand. Had she given him another? And if so, why had it been folded to the destruction of the drawing? Or was it a part of a note which he had destroyed? In the first impulse of discovery, I walked quickly with it toward the gateway where Enrique had disappeared, intending to restore it to him. He was just outside talking with a young girl. I started, for it was Jacosta, Miss Mannersley's maid. With this added discovery came that sense of uneasiness and indignation, with which we illogically are apt to resent the withholding of a friend's confidence, even matters concerning only himself. It was no use for me to reason that it was no business of mine, that he was right in keeping a secret that concerned another and a lady. But I was afraid. I was even more meanly resentful, because the discovery quite upset my theory of his conduct and of Miss Mannersley's attitude toward him. I continued to walk on to the gateway, where I bade Enrique a hurried goodbye, alleging the sudden remembrance of another engagement, but without appearing to recognize the girl who was moving away when, to my further discomfiture, the rascal stopped me with an appealing wink, threw his arms around my neck, whispered hoarsely in my ear, Ah, you see, you comprehend? But you are the mirror of discretion, and returned to Jacosta. But whether this meant that he had received a message from Miss Mannersley, or that he was trying to suborn her maid to carry one, was still uncertain. He was capable of either. During the next two or three weeks, I saw him frequently, but as I had resolved to try the effect of ignoring Miss Mannersley in our conversation, I gathered little further of their relations. To my surprise, after one or two characteristic extravagances of allusion, Enrique dropped the subject too. Only one afternoon, as we were parting, he said carelessly, My friend, you are going to the Casa of Manesley tonight. I too have the honor of the invitation, but you will be my Mercury, my Leporillo. You will take of me a message to these Miss Boston, that I am crushed, desolated, prostrate, and flabbergasted, that I cannot arrive 
for I have of that night to sit up with the grand aunt of my brother-in-law, who has a quincy to the death. It's sad. This was the first indication I had received of Miss Mannersley's advances. I was equally surprised at Enrique's refusal. Nonsense, I said bluntly. Nothing keeps you from going. My friend, returned Enrique, with a sudden lapse into languishment that seemed to make him absolutely infirm. It's everything that shall restrain me. I am not strong. I shall become weak of the knee and tremble under the eye of Miss Boston. I shall precipitate myself to the geologian by the throat. Ask me another conundrum that shall be easy. He seemed idiotically inflexible and did not go. But I did. I found Miss Mannersley exquisitely dressed and looking singularly animated and pretty. The lambent glow of her inscrutable eye as she turned toward me might have been flattering but for my uneasiness in regard to Enrique. I delivered his excuses as naturally as I could. She stiffened for an instant and seemed an inch higher. I am so sorry, she said at last in a level voice. I thought he would have been so amusing. Indeed, I had hoped we might try an old Moorish dance together, which I have found and was practicing. He would have been delighted, I know. It's a great pity he didn't come with me, I said quickly. But I could not help adding, with emphasis on her words, he is such an extraordinary creature, you know. I see nothing extraordinary in his devotion to an aged relative, returned Miss Mannersley quietly as she turned away, except that it justifies my respect for his character. I do not know why I did not relate this to him. Possibly I had given up trying to understand them. Perhaps I was beginning to have an idea that he could take care of himself. But I was somewhat surprised a few days later, when, after asking me to go with him to a rodeo at his uncle's, he added composedly, You will meet Miss Boston. I stared, and but for his manner would have thought it part of his extravagance. For the rodeo, a yearly chase of wild cattle for the purpose of lassoing and branding them was a rather brutal affair, and purely a man's function. It was also a family affair, a property stock-taking of the great Spanish cattle owners and strangers, particularly Americans, found it difficult to gain access to its mysteries and the fiesta that followed. But how did she get an invitation? I asked. You did not dare to ask, I began. My friend, said Enrique, with a singular deliberation, the great and respectable Boston herself and her serene venerable uncle and other Boston magnificos have of a truth done me the inexpressible honor to solicit of my degraded papistical uncle that she shall come, that she shall of her own superior eye behold the barbaric customs of our race. His tone and manner were so peculiar that I stepped quickly before him, laid my hands on his shoulders, and looked down into his face. But the actual devil, which I now, for the first time saw in his eyes, went out of them suddenly, and he relapsed again in affected languishment in his chair. I shall be there, friend Pancho, he said, with a preposterous gasp. I shall nerve my arm to lasso the bull, and tumble him before her at her feet. I shall throw the buckyum mustang at the same sacred spot. I shall pluck for her the buried chicken at full speed from the ground and present it to her. You shall see it, friend Pancho. I shall be there. He was as good as his word when Don Pedro Amador, his uncle, installed Miss Mannersley with Spanish courtesy on a race platform in the long valley where the rodeo took place. The gallant Enrique selected a bull from the frightened and galloping herd and cleverly isolating him from the band, 
lassoed his hind legs and threw him exactly before the platform where Miss Bannersley was seated. It was Enrique who caught the unbroken mustang, sprang from his own saddle to the bare back of his captive, and with the lasso for a bridle, halted him on rigid haunches at Miss Bannersley's feet. It was Enrique who, in the sports that followed, leaned from his saddle at full speed, caught up the chicken buried to its head in the sand without wringing its neck, and tossed it unharmed and fluttering toward his mistress. As for her, she wore the same look of animation that I had seen in her face at our previous meeting. Although she did not bring her sketchbook with her, as at the bullfight, she did not shrink from the branding of the cattle which took place under her very eyes. Yet I had never seen her and Enrique together. They had never, to my actual knowledge, even exchanged words. And now, although she was the guest of his uncle, his duties seemed to keep him in the field and apart from her. Nor, as far as I could detect, did either apparently make any effort to have it otherwise. The peculiar circumstance seemed to attract no attention from anyone else. But for what I alone knew, or thought I knew, of their actual relations, I should have thought them strangers. But I felt certain that the fiesta which took place in the broad patio of Don Pedro's casa would bring them together, and later in the evening, as we were all sitting on the veranda watching the dancing of the Mexican women, whose white flounced sayas were monotonously rising and falling to the strains of two melancholy harps, Miss Mannersley rejoined us from the house. She seemed to be utterly absorbed and attract, abstracted in the barbaric dances, and scarcely moved as she leaned over the railing with her cheek resting on her hand. Suddenly she arose with a little cry. What is it? asked two or three. Nothing. Only I have lost my fan. She had risen and was looking abstractedly on the floor. Half a dozen men jumped to their feet. Let me fetch it, they said. No, thank you. I think I know where it is and will go for it myself. She was moving away. But Don Pedro interposed with the Spanish gravity. Such a thing was not to be heard of in his casa. If the senorita would not permit him, an old man, to go for it, it must be brought by Enrique, her cavalier of the day. But Enrique was not to be found. I glanced at Miss Mannersley's somewhat disturbed face and begged her to let me fetch it. I thought I saw a flush of relief came into her pale cheek as she said in a lower voice, on the stone seat in the garden. I hurried away, leaving Don Pedro still protesting. I knew the gardens and the stone seat at an angle of the wall, not a dozen yards from the casa. The moon shone full upon it. There, indeed, lay the little grey-feathered fan. But beside it also lay the crumpled black-gold-embroidered riding gauntlet that Enrique had worn at the rodeo. I thrust it hurriedly into my pocket and ran back. As I passed through the gateway, I asked the peon to send Enrique to me. The man stared. Did I not know that Don Enrique had ridden away two minutes ago? When I reached the veranda, I handed the fan to Miss Mannersley without a word. We know, said Don Pedro gravely. It's as well. There shall be no bones broken over the getting of it. For Enrique, I hear, has had to return to Encinal this very evening. Miss Mannersley retired early. I did not inform her of my discovery, nor did I seek in any way to penetrate her secret. There was no doubt that she and Enrique had been together, perhaps not for the first time, but what was the result of their interview? From the young girl's demeanor and Enrique's hurried departure, I could only fear the worst for him. 
Had he been tempted into some further extravagance and been angrily rebuked, or had he avowed a real passion concealed under his exaggerated mask and been deliberately rejected, I tossed uneasily half the night, following in my dreams my poor friend's hurrying hoof-beats and ever starting from my sleep at what I thought was the sound of galloping hoofs. I rose early and lounged into the patio. But others were there before me, and a small group of Don Perro's family were excitedly discussing something, and I fancied they turned away awkwardly and consciously as I approached. There was an air of indefinite uneasiness everywhere. A strange fear came over me with the chill of the early morning air. Had anything happened to Enrique? I had always looked upon his extravagance as part of his playful humor. Could it be possible that under the sting of rejection he had made his grotesque threat of languishing effacement real? Surely Miss Mannersley would know or suspect something if it were the case. I approached one of the Mexican women and asked if the senorita had risen. The woman started and looked covertly round before she replied. Did not Pancho know that Miss Mannersley and her maid had not slept in their beds that night, but had gone? None knew where? For an instant, I felt an appalling sense of my own responsibility in this suddenly serious situation and hurried after retreating family group. But as I entered the corridor, a vacura touched me on the shoulder. He had evidently just dismounted and was covered with the dust of the road. He handed me a note written in pencil on a leaf from Miss Mannersley's sketchbook. It was in Enrique's hand, and his signature was followed by his most extravagant rubric. Friend Pancho, when you read this line, you shall, of a possibility, think I am no more. That's where you shall slip up, my little brother. I am much more. I am two times as much. I have married Miss Boston at the Mission Church at five of the morning, sharp. No cart shall be left. I kiss the hand of my venerable uncle-in-law. You shall say to him that we fly to the South Wilderness as a combined evangelical missionary to the heathen. Miss Boston herself say this. Tata, how are you now? Your own Enrique. End of the Devotion of Enrique from Selected Stories by Bret Hart. The present recording is by Raju, Ramina45 at hotmail.com.